0: So we're going to open, uh, if you want to open your Bible to Matthew chapter 1, we're going to look at the Christmas story from Matthew's gospel this evening. Uh, We've been in a series where we're talking about some of the names of God and tonight, the name of God that's revealed in, the, in Scripture is Jesus, the name Jesus, which means I am your salvation or he will save his people uh, from their sins. And so we're going to look at Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 to 25, and we're going to pull one sentence out of that Christmas story and really dig into that. And one sentence, you might be surprised, one sentence actually can have a lot of meaning um, in fact, sometimes even uh, changing the punctuation in a sentence can change the meaning of a sentence. So here's an example. Let's eat grandma or let's eat grandma. <laughs> right? If you take the comma out, it changes the meaning of the sentence. Here's, here's another one. Some people enjoy cooking their families and their dogs. Some people enjoy cooking their families and their dogs. Right? If you take the commas out, it changes the whole meaning of of the sentence some sentences are written in such a way that you have to read them two or three times to really get the meaning of the sentence like this one early humans hunted mammoths armed with spears wait a minute what early who had the spears the mammoths or the early humans Um, or this one i found my missing hat cleaning my room Was the hat cleaning the room or did I find my hat while I was cleaning the room? Right, the sentence doesn't really tell us. Or my all-time favorite, a woman without her man is nothing. Or is it a woman without her man is nothing? (laughs) A little punctuation changes the whole meaning. And I could tell you without Corinne, I would be nothing. So I'm going with option two on that list. Um, This evening, we're going to look at one sentence from Matthew's Gospel and really dig into what Christmas is all about and why we're here. So let's read the Christmas story from Matthew chapter 1. We'll start with verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. This is the Christmas story that we're all so familiar with that we've heard and we know and we love and I want to pull one sentence out of this story. It comes from verse 21 and it's this sentence. He will save his people from their sins. The name Jesus means God will save or the salvation of Yahweh. He will save his people from their sins. We're going to to dig into this sentence and really see uh, that in that one sentence The whole meaning of Christmas uh, is found. And so first of all, let's look at he will save his people from their sins. What does it mean to save? Usually if you use the word save, you're thinking of one of two meanings, either to save for or to save from, right? If we save for something, it's like saving up for a new car. If we save from something, we're talking about like saving someone from drowning, right? And the Bible, interestingly, does tell us that we are saved for good works that God created for us to do. But in Matthew 121, um, the focus of Jesus' name is really on the second meaning, to rescue or to save from. Jesus came to rescue the world. That's what John 3.17 says. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Jesus came not preaching a message of condemnation, but calling people to new life, to salvation. And all of us who belong to Christ are sent not as agents of condemnation into the world, but as agents of salvation and reconciliation with God. Jesus will save his people from their sins. Let's look at the next part of the sentence. He will save his people from their sins. He's coming to rescue us. What is he rescuing us from? He's rescuing us from our sins. Well, what is sin and why do we need to be rescued from it? Here's a simple definition of sin. Sin is anything that goes against God's will. Anything that goes against God's plan and his design and his will is sin. So if God's will is that you would love your neighbor as yourself and you say, I don't like my neighbor. He's a jerk. I don't want to love him by the way I do like my neighbors. <laughs> but if, if you say, no, I'm not going to do that. Well, then you're sinning because you're going against God's will. If God's will is for us to be truthful, but we lie, then we're sinning because we're going against God's will. And you might say, well, what's the big deal? Why does God care about how I live, about my life? Why does it matter? Well, it really comes down to the issue of trust. Do I trust that God is good? Do I trust that God is wise? Do I trust that God's way is the right way, is the best way? Do I trust that God will make the best decisions for me and for the world, that he knows how the universe works and how my own heart works better than I do? Am I willing to believe that all those things are true and follow him? Or do I not trust God to make the right decisions and I think maybe I could do a better job at deciding for myself? If you really want to see what sin is all about, we have to go back to the beginning of the Bible. Genesis chapter 2. Uh, verse 16 and 17. God had created Adam and Eve and here's what he told Adam. The Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. Now, we know from the story that Adam and Eve did eat from that tree, but what's the big deal? Why does it matter if we eat apples or oranges? Why does God care? Again, it comes down to the issue of trust. Did they trust God when he said, you're not ready to eat that tree? Or did they think that they needed to do their own thing? And sin happens, it's when we don't trust God, we take matters into our own hands. And it always brings death, just like God told Adam and Eve, when you eat from it, you will certainly die. Now that's not a threat of punishment, that is a warning of danger. When parents tell their young children, don't play in the street or you'll get hit by a car, We're not telling our kids, if you play in the street, I'm going to go get in my car and run you over. That's not what we're telling our kids. We're saying, hey, you're not old enough. You're not mature enough. You're not wise enough yet to walk across the street by yourself. Don't go there. It's a dangerous street. You might get hit by a car. When God told Adam and Eve, don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil or you will certainly die, he was saying, you're not old enough yet. You're not mature enough. You're not wise enough yet to handle that kind of knowledge for yourself. Trust me. And of course they said, no, we don't trust you. We're going to take matters into our own hands. They ate from the tree. They wanted to make their own decisions and they brought death into the world. When we tell God, no thanks, I don't need you, I'll decide for myself what's right and what's wrong. We separate ourselves from God and we bring death into our lives and the lives of those around us. Because when we reject God, we reject the very source of life itself. We become like cell phones that don't have a charger. Eventually the battery runs out and the phone dies. And when you reject God and say, no thanks, I don't need you, eventually your life runs out and you die. And not only that, but sin brings death to the, uh, to, into the world of those around us. If you watch a room full of toddlers for more than 15 seconds, you'll see exactly what I mean, right? If you go onto Google and search 10 random news uh, headlines, chances are at least nine of them are going to be examples of death in some way. Sin, depravity, destruction, despair, right? Where did all the evil in the world come from? It came from rejecting God and saying, no thanks, God, we'll take it from here. We've got it. We don't need you. And we just mess everything up. Sin always leads to death. That's what Jesus came to save us from. He will save his people from their sins and from the death that their sins bring. That's why Jesus came. Let's go back to Matthew 1, 21 and look at our our sentence for the night. The next part of the sentence I want to focus on is the word he. He will save his people from their sins. Who does the saving? He does. That's important. Because we can't save ourselves from our sin. Only Jesus can. We can't do it. We can't save ourselves from sin. We can't through our, our schools and education systems. We can't fix the problem. As important as education is, it won't solve the problem of sin in the world. Through the government, it's not going to fix the problem. We can't rely on the government to solve the problems of society. It's not going to work. They can't fix it. Science won't help us. I see the yard sign up. uh, in In this house, we believe science is real. That's great. I believe science is real. But science can't save us from our sin. It can't do anything to help us in that regard. Technology won't fix the problem. In fact, for all the new technological advancements that we make and the new things that we create, we only create new, gross, violent, and perverted, twisted ways of using the technology. It doesn't fix the problem. Social services, humanitarian nonprofit organizations, these things do great work, but they cannot fix the brokenness that's in the world around us. We can't save ourselves from our sin we can't do it collectively we can't do it individually we're powerless you know at christmas time it's uh it's common for parents to tell their kids to be more thankful right they open up socks or underwear and they're like well well, big deal and parents say you should be more thankful for what you have instead of being ungrateful for what you don't have anybody ever tell their kids that anybody ever had your parents tell you that you know that's a common thing for parents to say But if we ever stop to think about it, we actually can't make ourselves be more thankful. Like I can make myself say thank you, but I can't make my heart more grateful. I can make myself say I love you, but I can't actually make my heart be more loving. I I can make myself do nice things and say nice things for people, but I can't actually make my heart kinder we're actually powerless even to change our own hearts. At most, we can modify our behavior. We can't fix the problem. We can't save ourselves from our sin. That's why Jesus came to do what we couldn't do. To to solve the problem that we could not solve, he does the saving. Now, who is Jesus that he could actually accomplish this? If we can't do it, why would we think that he could? Well, uh, I could summarize that in a lot of different ways, but I, th- I think um, this blog post that I read recently d- did a really nice job. It's called Jesus Isn't Just a Cute Baby in a Manger. It's written by Phil Robertson. Let me read a portion of it from you, for you. While the world may be singing joyful, joyful, we adore thee during December, we are adoring him all year long. We worship him because he's not just a harmless little Christmas baby, but the God who appeared in human flesh 2,000 years ago. It's true that our Jesus did come as an infant, but he wasn't a baby before he came. He was the mighty God who created the universe and everything in it. But as he grew into manhood, he matured into the same Jesus who healed disabled people, people who were blind from birth and those who were possessed by demons. He is also the same Jesus who raised the dead. He is the same Jesus who died on the cross only to be raised from the dead himself three days later. And he is the same Jesus who sits right now at the right hand of God. It is a dangerous thing to be confused about Jesus. He's not our bellhop ready to tote our bags to our rooms. He's not our personal assistant who helps us find parking places. Instead, he is the God who came to serve us By doing for us the one thing we couldn't do for ourselves, he came to pay the debt of sin that we are unable to pay. Because Jesus is God who became a human being, he actually can save his people from their sins. And that brings me to the last point. He will save his people from their sins. Who are his people? It's not who you might think. Look at just uh, as an example, just look at some of his followers. Mary Magdalene, she was a prostitute that was possessed by seven demons, right? Jesus cast the demons out, rescued her from that life, totally changed the trajectory of her life. He saved her from her sins. What about Peter? He's sort of the stereotypical macho guy who overcompensates to cover up for his own insecurity and fear. Right? Or James and John, power-hungry racists who wanted to call down fire from heaven and destroy a Samaritan city simply because it was Samaritans who lived there. Nathaniel, very arrogant. When he had heard about Jesus, hadn't met Jesus yet, but he heard about Jesus and he heard that Jesus was from Nazareth, what did he say? Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Right, Very arrogant. Simon the Zealot an alt-right political radical who advocated violence against the Roman Empire. Meanwhile, you also had Matthew, a leftist tax collector, extorting his own people to raise money for the Roman Empire. So these two men on opposite ends of the political spectrum, and Jesus calls both of them to be his disciples. What do we learn from that? Simon the zealot and Matthew the tax collector both had a change of heart when they met Jesus the Messiah. He saved them from their sins. Followers of Jesus in the New Testament included all kinds of people wealthy and poor, married and single, men and women, old and young, educated and illiterate, Jews and Gentiles. You know, the only kind of people that weren't the followers of Jesus? Good people. There were no good people following him, there were no good people among his circle of disciples. Because being a good person doesn't get you into Jesus' circle. Being forgiven does. All these different people who were following Jesus, what did they have in common? Not much. But the one thing that they shared is an understanding that they were sinners who needed a savior. They recognized their need to be saved. The The people that Jesus saves, his people, They're the ones who confess their sin and come to him for salvation. That brings me to the final question as we close tonight's message. Are you one of his people? Do you need to be saved? Good people don't go to heaven. Forgiven people do. The only people who will be saved are those who admit they've sinned, who recognize that they need to be saved, and who come to Jesus for salvation because they understand that only he can save them from their sins you might be here tonight and you might say yes i am one of his people i recognized and confessed my sin and i came to christ for salvation i've trusted my life to him and if that's you you're here tonight to say thank you to celebrate to worship and you might be somebody who says yeah i've not really ever done that before I know the Christmas story, I've seen the movies, I've read the books, I've read the children's books, I've been in church, I've done the whole bit, but I've never really owned my own sin, recognized that I need to be saved, and came to Jesus for that salvation. If you're here and you think, I'm gonna be a good person and hopefully God will let me in, that's the wrong track. Because there are no good people in Jesus' circle, there are only forgiven sinners. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for uh, sending your son. Lord Jesus, thank you that you showed us how to live and who you've called us to be. It's a reflection of your life and your love. And for those of us who have trusted our lives to you, we thank you and we celebrate you and what you've done, the sacrifice that you made dying in my place and our place on the cross. And if there's anyone here or listening online that has never made that decision to trust their life to you, I pray that you would lead them to do that, to acknowledge their sin and their need to be saved and to surrender their life to you and receive your forgiveness and be born again into your family to become one of your people. We love you, Lord Jesus. Amen.